Welcome to Mysterious Circumstances, and for those of you who enjoyed the Jesse James episodes that I did, the series, you are really going to enjoy this episode because this is, you know, a relative of Jesse James, and I got the opportunity to talk to him on the phone last night, and just a mountain of information. Like, I love your knowledge, obviously, and uh, um, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Mark West. I'm uh, from New York. Myself and Justin are both devil dogs. Hoorah. <laughs> Hoorah. I, I always tell people I was uh, born a Yankee by birth, a rebel by choice. I like to think of myself as more of a rebel, even though I live in New York. Hey, you um, know what? Same I, with me, man. <laughs> even though uh, I did some uh, research online a few years back on Ancestry finding who my real family was. I was raised as a foster kid, so I was looking up my real family under the West name. I got a bunch of information and dated it back to the 1500s from England and whatnot. And most of them settled in New York and, and thought nothing of it for quite a few years. And then uh, I'm a mailman, so I drive around in my Jeep all day delivering mail. So I got a lot of time. So I listened to uh, podcasts and different YouTube stories. And I was listening to the book, the audio book that Jesse James's son, Jesse James Jr., wrote in 1899. Throughout this book, at one point, they mentioned when uh, Jesse James got shot in the lung when he was trying to surrender at the end of the Civil War, how uh, he was taken back to his mother's house by steamboat and one of his fellow confederates there went along with him and the guy's name was richard west so i'm like well, oh well, i gotta look this up well come to find out richard west's father was tillman west tillman west was married to elizabeth james which was jesse's aunt jesse's father and elizabeth were brother and sister and tillman married elizabeth and they had a bunch of kids and richard west was one of them so i'm like well that's cool the west name is associated with the james name so I'm like, wouldn't it be awesome if I was related to this West? So I started researching Tillman West's family, and lo and behold, it intersected with my family tree that went back to England. Turned out there was a, a couple in England back in the 1500s who had two sons, and one of them's line of family went directly to Tillman West and the other's line of family went directly with the other son went directly to me. So when I put them in the family tree, it comes up as my sixth cousin four times removed. So I'm related to Jesse only by marriage, but Richard West is where I'm related to him by blood and he's got James blood in him and he's related to Jesse. He's his first cousin. And not only that, they both served under bloody Bill Anderson during or they were both Missouri guerrillas. I've got pictures of Richard's tombstone and it says Missouri guerrillas, private Anderson's company, Confederate States, which is really cool. So he was most likely on a lot of the raids with Jesse and Frank and it uh, looked up uh, their grave sites under that find a grave site. It said there that, uh, Tillman was the brother-in-law to Robert James, who was the father of outlaws Frank and Jesse James. And according to one family legend, when Robert James died in the gold fields of California in 1850, 
Tillman was supposedly appointed guardian of Frank and Jesse. As he was a successful businessman, he was able to support the James family for a while. Later, Jesse James used the alias Thomas Howard, which perhaps is a nod to his favorite uncle, Tillman Howard West, whose mother's maiden name was Howard. And that said that they were quite close with the James family, which was quite interesting. So like I said, I was listening to all these things about this, and here's a couple of really cool notes I found listening to that book by Jesse James Jr. When he was about five or six, that's when they moved to St. Joseph, where Jesse James was supposedly um, assassinated. And he spoke about things he knew of and things he had heard from other people that told him afterwards. And uh, he said they lived at that house, and there was this vacant lot behind their house. And then the other side of the vacant lot lived the father of the constable, Constable Murphy, of the town. And every night, the constable would go over to his father's house with his posse, and they'd get their horses all together, and they'd get ready to go out searching for the James gang. And every night, Jesse would walk over. He says, my father would walk over there, and he used a cane, and he had like a limp when he did it. And he'd go over there, and he'd talk with all the guys that were going in the posse, and, you know, ask them what they were doing, and what they'd found out since last time, and then he'd wish them good luck, and they'd be on their way. <laughs> to your personal opinion on that, because in the in the series that I did, I was pretty adamant on the fact that, you know, Jesse James, is, he had a rough childhood. All the James family did. A lot of people in that part of the country during then, when people look back at the Civil War, they look at it usually one-sided. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, why the James family was so hell-bent on hating the Union. From what I've read and seen, um, Jesse James and his family, like any other family, mainly in Missouri, because Missouri was such a split state on slavery. Half of them were for it, half of them were against it. But Missouri never seceded like the rest of the states did. So as far as Abe Lincoln was concerned, they were go good they could keep their slaves if they wanted to he didn't care as long as they didn't secede but even bef years before the civil war there was a, it was a big mess between kansas city and missouri they'd spill over into missouri see kansas was trying to vote whether they wanted to be a slave state or a non-slave state and you had the state above them trying to convince them they ought to go as a non-slave state and then Missouri was trying to convince them to go as a slave state. And basically, no matter which side you were on, there were people that were against you. And a lot of these guys, the Jayhawkers and the Red Legs, they would go and basically use this as a good excuse to go around looting and robbing and doing whatever the heck they pleased to do. So as far as Jesse goes, his brother, Frank, he joined Quantrell. Well, actually, Frank was in the actual Confederate Army first, and then he quit that and joined up with Quantrell. And then, you know, everybody's heard of when they they came oh, yeah. to the James Farm and hung Samuels, Dr. Samuels, and beat Jesse and all this stuff. And, and he was like 15 at the time, 14 or 15. They were whipping him out in the field and everything. And uh, after that, and then they took his mother off 
and put her in jail for a few days just because because yeah, you supported she, him. You know? And she was pregnant at the time. Yeah, she was pregnant at the time. Now I gotta I gotta mention this. I didn't talk to you about this the other night, but I gotta say, his mother and his wife Z. They were some ugly ass women. <laughs> Dude, his his mom was a pretty big battle axe. I'll totally yeah, agree I'm with like, that. But I tell cow. you what, when she got out of when she got out of jail though, man, and I mean, from what I understand, oh. she basically had to give like, you know, she had to pledge her allegiance to the union in order to get out of yeah. jail. I heard afterwards she was just like, Oh, oh yeah, okay, boys, like we're done with this shit. And I mean, I, from what I understand, you know, between what Jesse saw with his father, what happened with him, you know, getting beat as a, as a young guy or a young kid. I read that in a few, few different places that they had burnt the bottom of his feet so that when they were hanging his dad, he couldn't get up to go over there and help. I mean, he's, yeah. Yeah. You know, I tried I tried telling people that in the episode, you know, I'm like, listen, like his hatred for the union between this and his mom and then the failed Pinkerton raid. I mean, the Pinker the failed Pinkerton raid, you know, later on after they were outlaws, that did not help the situation at all, man. <laughs> it's just like yeah, you are literally yeah, well, you... every seed inside this guy to hate you. The one time he did surrender, they shoot him, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you got to remember, his father was a preacher, and mm-hmm. up until the Civil War started, Frank and Jesse, they weren't troublemakers. They weren't into nothing. They were just yeah. normal kids like everybody else. Jesse wanted to end up being a preacher. Yeah. But um, not only that, the thing with his father and beating him and everything, that was just the kickstart. And I think everything that they saw, him and Frank and the rest of them saw during the war of how badly they treated them. Because they had no regard for guerrillas. They didn't even consider them real soldiers. So they had no problem. They're like, we don't keep prisoners of people that aren't in the real army. So, you know, when we go into the black flag all the time and kill everybody. So Mm -hmm. that's when they started doing the same thing. But once you go through a war like that, now you got to live with the same people that did that to you. And now they strip away your vote. They strip away everything you ever had. I mean, they went through the South as a general and burned everything to the ground of people that had nothing to do with the Confederates at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just happened to live in the South. So they burn everything they had and they'd kill people and string them up whenever they felt like it. Now, how do you go back and live in the same country and say, okay, now you can tell me what to do. And now you can tell me I can't own land and I can't vote and I can't do this and I can't do that. You know, of course you're going to rebel against stuff like that cool. so i mean a lot, a lot of people say well you know a lot of other people that were on the south side they adjusted well well they might not have had the same spirit the james boys did that you know we don't go for this and uh they were just like you know what we're gonna do whatever we can to uh hurt their cause and, the, and of course, you hear it's a myth that he was the Robin Hood. He never gave to the poor. Well, he might not have gave to the poor, but the poor liked him because he was affecting the rich people, was taking their money from them. Whether the poor people got it or not, they didn't care. As long <laughs> as you were sticking it to the man, they yeah. were on your side. You know, well, That's exactly right. And, uh, and I'm telling you, 
that people from the South, you always hear about it. Cause, you know, I've traveled through the South, but never spent much time. And you hear of them, they're still stuck on the Civil War, and you live up North your whole life, and you're thinking, what the hell's up with that? And then once you do all your history and search it, you're like, oh, no wonder they're so still pissed off. And think about it, it really wasn't that long ago. This country's only a couple hundred years old, which ain't much. The older you get, it seems like a lot shorter time. And uh, I was telling you the other day, (laughs) I was in uh, 8th Tank Battalion in the Marine Corps, and we were in the Gulf War. And we were getting ready to go in to liberate Kuwait. We were front lines. Our tanks were front lines going right through straight to Kuwait. And you know what? Ooh, Rod only took us 100 hours, and it was over. (laughs) It was over before it even started. Marines well, roll, anyway, <laughs> our company commander, one of the company commanders, was giving his speech on the day of the ground war, and he was from Kentucky. And, you know, he's giving this spiel about, you know, getting you all pumped up and everything. And he goes, now, remember, when you're out there, remember who the enemy is. We're fighting them. Don't get in fights amongst yourselves because, you know, when we're out there, there's no black and white anymore, and there's no north and south. And us people from New York, like, what the hell are you talking about? No North and South. You, you're, you're talking about the Civil War? What the hell? Speaking about about military and Jesse being so aggressive from an early age, what do you personally think about you know him being seventeen in Centralia? I'm not sure how you know. I'm not hundred yeah, percent sure. There's a lot of different you. things they say. Yeah. About Centralia, but then you know I don't know if this is in Jesse James Jr.'s book. He says Jesse never killed anybody who wasn't trying to kill him first, or this or that or the other thing. But you know the stories of Centralia, and I don't know if you'd heard this one too. But of course they say Jesse was the one that shot that Colonel Johnson. Yeah, down. yeah. One of the stories I heard was that when the shooting started, 60 guys grabbed their horses from the other side, the Union, and took off for the next town down the road was about eight miles away. There were 60 of them. After the shooting was over, five guys got on their horses. Jesse James is one of them. Some say Frank was another one. Five of them went after these 60 guys. And in that eight miles, by the time they got to the town, 52 of them were dead. Five guys against 60, and they killed 52 of them. That's unreal. (laughs) That is really unreal. And that goes back to a lot of their training with Quantrill. Like, I personally think that's what made Frank and Jesse such good bank robbers and train robbers. They had that training in camouflage and, um, you know, ambush attacks, and they were very good about for lack of a better term, for casing out an area because of that training with Quantrill and Bloody Bill Anderson. And um, what's your opinion on on Bloody Bill being a pretty big influence on Jesse James early on? Yeah, definitely. Do you think that sculpted him a little bit, you know? Oh, definitely. You know, when you're 16 years old, you look up to people like that. You know, you're riding with him. You see him, of course, He's riding with them because he hates these people that are going against from what they did. And if you mm-hmm. see him killing all these people, you're like, hell yeah, I'm not, that's what I want to do. I want to be like him. And they say both the Jameses, well, pretty much all the guys that rid with Contrell and them, 
you know, they were all pistoliers. They all carried pistols. Oh, and yeah. They could shoot with either hand. They would ride lots of times with the, the reins in their mouth, and they'd be shooting with both hands. And as soon as they emptied a gun, they'd drop it and grab another one. They have four or five pistols. To, like in Centralia, those guys only got off one shot with their muskets, and that was it. They never got to reload, never had time to reload or anything. And, I, you know, the in this book by ear, you got you to gotta read or listen to the book by his son. He tells them a boatload of times that these gorillas, they would go against people. They'd be 60 to 400. They'd go get, and they'd whoop their ass and send them running. Their thing was they would ride right in the middle of there, and they were told, you don't stop till you get to the through them and to the other side. No matter how many people fall beside you, you just keep riding. And they would ride them, and these guys didn't know what to think. They didn't know what to make of that because that's not how they fought, you know. Mm-hmm. And they would just ride through them and, and massacre them. Time after time after time, they'd be outnumbered three to one, and they'd win. It's like, oh. That whole thing with the pistols, man, that was such a huge advantage and such a – Oh, yeah. And for, they had you 18 know, shots to, to one, you know. Exactly, and exactly, in a matter they, of, of a minute, you know. They say he could ride around a tree and girdle it, and they said he could ride and fire with both hands, and he'd ride up to two telephone poles or whatever, and uh, he'd start shooting at them when he was almost to them. By the time he got back past them, he'd have six bullets in the right one and six bullets in the left one. Of course, they, uh, they, he, one of his main pistols was a thirty-six caliber. That was his, you know, after which they'd, run around, they'd walk around and finish them all off with shots to the head. Yes, and yes. And a smaller and then, caliber pistol for that. And Centralia was really brutal, man. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that, you know, from what a lot of historians, and, and it's actually documented, like documented with the Union Army, man, that, you know, after they killed those guys, you know, they went through and dismembered them, you know. Yeah. And it's just... Me personally, I know, you know, different times, like people were pretty much full blown adults by the time they were 17 or 18 back in the 1800s. Like, I get that. Yeah. But man, for a 17 year old kid to be in that massacre, you know, and to be involved in a lot of that, it still just blows my mind. It's like, man, it's like the shit this this kid saw before he was 18 you know, 99% of people will never see in their entire lives if they live to oh, be yeah, under it. Yeah. And, and he was doing it too. They said in Centralia of the union people that were killed, not one body had the same head on it. It started with, yep. they chopped everybody's head off. And they probably were laughing and joking around when they're doing, I'll put this one over here and this one over here. And yep. uh, for Jesse, once you start doing shit like that, you either got to keep going to, along them lines because if you ever take five minutes to stop and think about what you did it'll drive you crazy you yeah. know so i'm thinking that's why he stayed the way he was because it's like there ain't no going back to normal after this no there's absolutely not there's absolutely <laughs> not and then on top of it like me and you were talking about just a little bit ago with him actually going to surrender you know with a white flag and getting shot off of his horse. I mean, yep. the one time the the kid just finally is like, okay, fine, you win. 
we're going to stop. And I mean, granted, um, that was after Bloody Bill died and a lot of his, you know, the people in his, uh, in his unit and in the, uh, you know, involved in the guerrilla warfare with them and stuff. I mean, they were mostly either dead or dispersed by then, you know, but still, man, for, for him to finally get to that point where he's just so broken, you know, I'm going to give up. And before I go any further real quick, and when I say like, you know, he was broken just for some of you listeners, like, you know, I'm, I, I am to a point sympathetic about Jesse James's situation. I said, you know, I know he did a lot of bad shit, but that's why I wanted to do that series on him because people didn't understand who he was before he was the Jesse James, you know, and, you know, for him to be so completely broken by the union that he actually goes to surrender and then gets shot off his horse. Like the dude can't catch a break either way. Like, I don't get it. Yeah. And he was carrying the white flag himself when he got shot. Yeah. Yeah. Literally had it in his hands, man. And, you know, I tried to tell people probably 99% of my listeners heard that series. It's like union did just as much bad as the, the Confederates, but history is written by the victors, man. You know what I mean? So you don't hear a lot about that. And, I mean, it's pretty well documented, you know, a lot of the shit they did, but nobody takes the time to actually look it up and get into it and actually learn about it, you know? And I think me personally, that in my mind when I did that series, that was always for me personally the the breaking point because after he got nursed to health, you know, that's when he was just like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to fuck up the union as much as I can any way possible. I think it was what, like, uh, within a year, he was with the youngers. Well, he got nursed back, and first of all, they didn't think he was going to make it for one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he was sick. I mean, for for at least a year or more, he still had that wound just oozing pus out of it. Yeah, out of his lung. It was a long time before he was back to to normal. You know, after that, after he got shot, he got nursed back. He tried to go back home. Him and his mother, they moved back home. They tried to start their life over, but they wouldn't let them. These, uh, I forget what they called them, um, town guards or whatever, something, whatever they called them. And they'd come around and keep looking for him, and they wanted to arrest him. And they'd show up at his house one night, and he was still, you know, weak. And he'd ask him, his mother would answer the door, and they said, we want Jesse James. And they're like, he'd holler out, what are you going to do with me if you get me? He goes, why, we're going to hang you, of course. And they keep coming back to the house. And that's when he, he ended up, basically, he had to leave the house because he knew five guys come one day, he runs them off. He goes, they're going to bring 50 next time, and there's no way I'm going to get free. I got to be on the run now. And he would take off. And there was one point where they said uh, they came to the house looking for him one time, and they went out in the barn, and this one guy come back in from the barn, and Zerelda noticed that he had a bridle under his jacket that was hers from out in the barn. And she goes, what's that under your jacket? He goes, oh, that's just a bridle that I uh, acquired. And she goes, that's my bridle. And then she backed him up against the wall and started choking the guy till he turned blue. <laughs> and his buddy yelled out to the sergeant, was in the bar, sergeant, Mrs. James is choking so-and-so and he's turning blue. 
about a week later, that same guy came back and she saw him coming and she grabbed a shovel full of coals out of the fire and threw hot ashes in his face. And she goes, they never saw him again. And dude, and I then, tell you yeah. what, man, his mom was hard. Oh yeah. That one time that Pinkerton guy got killed and he went yeah. to the sheriff to tell him what he was there for. And he says, yes. don't go out there. He's like, if the James boys don't kill you, the old lady will. <laughs> yeah exactly man <laughs> exactly and then the best part was is what was it like a day or two later they found his body with bullet holes yeah. in it and uh with a yep. note that said this is what happens when you come looking for the james boys yep. and it's just like and it's, man. <laughs> same thing after his mother got the house got blown up the neighbor there his last name was askew a couple days after that they had heard that he had tipped them off and that's why they ended up at his mother's house and two days later there he was in the woods with one shot in the chest and two in the head what's your uh what's your opinion on the whole you know failed pinkerton raid looking for the james and i mean they blew off zarelda's arm killed uh yeah. jesse's youngest brother yeah like we were talking last night you know between all of this other shit how could you not expect yeah. what yeah, I think that was the final straw for him right there when they did that to his mother. Yeah. Because, you know, back then, people were all about their mothers. Oh, his family is very – people don't realize oh, nowadays, yeah. like back then, you know, your family and your name and your reputation is about all you damn had. That and your land. Yeah. That's uh, about it. And the union had pretty much tried to destroy or take everything from them. And, I mean, in a lot of ways, they were successful, but – that that pink failed Pinkerton raid, man. I think that was the nail in the coffin for not yeah. even for Jesse and Frank, but for the hatred for the union, man. Yeah, well, they would say, you know, if somebody did that to your family and you didn't exact revenge on them, you couldn't hold your head up as a man. Yeah, you had no choice. It's like you got to do what you got to do. And I mean, nowadays it's completely different, you know, <laughs> but yeah. You know, people hardly but, even stand up for themselves, let alone their family. Yeah. The Pinkertons, they uh, supposedly when they went in, of course, they thought Frank and Jesse were home. They were going to smoke them out. And when they threw that in there, it wasn't supposed to explode. It was just supposed to smolder and smoke and stuff. But when they kicked it in the fire, it made it, made it explode. Of course, then they all took off. But, you know, they said it was a military-grade device when they you know found the remnants of it yeah. and uh, something from the government so of course even back then the government was happiest so even like today brother you better watch your six <laughs> hey, that's exactly right and like the pinkertons early on i mean they were hugely successful but they weren't exactly run-of-the-mill follow all the rules type people oh yeah you know? they did what they needed yeah. to do to get their bounties and that was that like every historical figure that I've researched and, um, you know, I keep bringing this up, like I, I enjoy learning about the context, you know, because it's like, why was Billy the Kid 20 years old and just literally had a reputation as being as badass as he was? Yeah. You know, like what was the context with all these other people? And, you know, speaking of Billy, a lot of news recently has come out that puts um, Billy the Kid and Jesse James in the same place, and Jesse James actually trying to recruit him to join his gang yeah. after most of them had been killed off 
what is your opinion on that? And if you have, you know, more elaborate information on it too. Uh, I yeah, don't, I don't have any more information other than I've heard the same that's, thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if Jesse would want somebody the same caliber as him being an equal to him in his group. I think he liked to be the one to run the show. So you'd want people that were not as bold as you that yeah, were just exactly. going to do what you they were told to do. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it would have been a hell of a combo, I'll tell you that much. Oh, good, good, and of good, course, yeah. Farther down the line at the end with the Frank Dalton, Brushy Bill lived right next door to him for years. The guy that claimed to be Billy the Kid. Like, that know, would be right? cool if it was true. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty wild, man. I was always more yeah. of a – when I did the Billy Billy the Kid, I uh, I, I broke down a lot of facts and, and fiction between Brushy Bill and uh, John Miller. And and if I had to choose somebody, like personally, I don't think Billy the Kid was killed by Pat Garrett. And not to get off Jesse too much, but you know, John Miller just fit that bill quite a bit, quite a bit more. Yeah. But, and and speaking of which, with uh with Jesse, man, what is your opinion? Like, were you familiar with with Dalton before with Frank Dalton? And for those of you listeners who are who didn't listen to my series, um, Frank Dalton is the guy who came out. Uh, I believe it was what in the fifties, and he yeah, said, forty-eight fifties. Yeah. yeah, and he walks into the newspaper and he's like, "My name is Jesse James. My real name is Jesse James, and I just want to say that I'm him before I die, or whatever." The whole Frank Dalton thing is too hard to. It's it's you can't ignore it because there's so much there that it's like man it's like this guy knows his shit i really want to get into some of these details with you i guess my first question would be were you familiar with frank dalton before you had you know researched a lot about jesse james had you always heard that story or no i had never heard that until i started looking into the jesse james and listening to the books and stuff Okay. And uh, I had never heard that. Of course, I'd heard of the Dalton gang. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd heard sure. of that. But um, no, I'd never heard that one. And of course, it's before your time and my time that he came out there. But yeah, once I got into it and then, you know, where he says Dalton was his mother's maiden name before she was Zerelda Cole. She was supposedly in a Catholic, uh, like private school or something that she had been sent to, and that the Cole, this Cole family adopted her basically. And uh, I cannot find an ancestry or anything anywhere where it shows her as a Dalton, but it does show her being like an orphan in a Catholic run school. So I guess it is possible. It is and, very uh, possible, yeah. I mean, the only records we really have are newspapers, census records. Yeah. And I mean, it's that's why it took me so long to do a lot of that research because it's like, man, to put a certain person in a certain place in a certain year. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially it's with hard. Jesse. Jesse was hard. all over the place. Jesse and Frank both were. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were everywhere. But, um, you know, the guy had all the wounds that the Pinkertons had kept track of the different wounds because they had no idea what Frank and Jesse looked like. So nobody took pictures. So uh, 
they started keeping track of when they had heard he'd been shot with this, that, and the other thing, and um, kept track of his wounds. And then this guy, this Dalton guy, they went and inspected him and looked all over everywhere, and he had all the, the same 11 wounds that Jesse James was supposed to have had. So that makes you think, well, maybe that's good. I, You know, I don't think you can inflict those wounds on yourself. You'd have to start that years and years ago with this plan if that was the case but um that makes it sound a little more it does and it was really and it was really odd too because you know it was supposedly when he died it was supposedly or quote unquote died i should say if he was going to do this you know obviously it was gonna the probably the main parts of the family would know about it and it was supposed to be like a take it to your grave type secret. And the the most yeah. interesting thing, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about Frank Dalton, but one of the kickers was when they said, hey, would you mind if Frank James came or Frank James's son, you know, came and uh, identified you? And Frank Dalton just looked at him and laughed and he's like, he won't. He's like, I promise you he won't. And when approached – he said, I have no interest in even looking or talking to that guy. And yeah, the the thing about it was, is a lot of people took it as, oh, well, he knew he was fake. But at the same time, Frank James's son literally traveled everywhere. When somebody claimed to be Jesse James, he would go there and he would be like, nope, nope. And he did that yep. probably a dozen times. But the one time when it was Frank Dalton, he would not do it. He's like, nope. He's like, I have no interest. I don't even want to look at the guy. You know, blah, blah, blah. And he said there's nothing, no circumstance at all that would make me talk to him. And they offered him $10,000 just yeah. to meet the man. Just to and meet the man. And he still said no. And he still turned it down he and said, said nope. No. Yeah. And that, that right no. there, some people might browse over that kind of information. But when I saw that, I was like, man, I was like, okay, let me look into this guy. And then I found out they're like, okay, he literally turned down ten grand just to go meet the guy and say it wasn't him. He wouldn't do it. But he had also spent yeah. like the last twenty or thirty years of his life going around and to everybody who claimed to be Jesse and just being like, Nope, that's not him. Yeah, it's not him. Yeah. You know, but when it came to that, he wouldn't. I, I don't know. I just found that super interesting personally. But let's talk about the aftermath over his supposed death you know what transpired with frank james because me and you talked on the phone a little bit about that the other night and we both found it pretty interesting with robert ford and crittenden let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit okay that, um, I, I get into that too yeah well first of all you watch the different movies and they you know they show how he was supposedly shot and all this stuff and once you start digging in and you read the information and they, they, like his wife said, he never goes unarmed ever. And of course they say, this is the one time that yep. uh, he didn't have his guns on. And she's like, he wear, he keeps them under his pillow. He sleeps with them. He goes everywhere. You've never seen him without them. And his son wrote in his book, when he was a kid, he remembered his father went heavily armed at all times. He had a double barrel shotgun loaded with buckshot. A Winchester rifle, which is, and most times he carry strapped to the inside of an umbrella. And he had a 45 Colt pistol, a 45 Schofield pistol, 
three cartridge belts fully loaded. His pockets were full of shells and he had a small valise that was full of shells. And that's how he went everywhere he went. And he said, he, his son said, my father told me that's how everybody goes. And he goes, well, I believed him because everybody I ever saw at the house was also strapped down like that, which would have been all of his gang members, you know. <laughs> the kid's like, well, I guess so. Everybody I know <laughs> carries all these guns with them. Well, they talk about it, and you think, well, if he never went unarmed, and they say in his later years after Northfield, he didn't trust a lot of the people in his gang. He got really paranoid about people, and he killed a couple of gang members he thought were after him and whatnot. And uh, so you think to yourself, why would he take his guns off and turn his back to people that, I mean, he knew Charlie Ford, but... Mm -hmm. He didn't know that much he about didn't. Robert Ford yet. You no, know, he, he didn't. was new to the game. And it's like and it doesn't matter anyway because he, just anybody walking by could burst in the door. He would always have his guns on. They talk about son talks about one time the sheriff come walking up through with some people and he goes, he stopped in front of our house and he had his hand on the gate of the little picket fence out there. My father got his Winchester out of the closet. And he had it pointed right at the sheriff. And he goes, and then, for whatever reason, the sheriff turned around and walked away with these people. And he says he had no idea how close he came to getting killed. He goes, later, after, you know, he was supposedly killed, he they talked to the sheriff and they asked him, he goes, oh, I was just showing some people around town and you can see most of the town from up here on the hill. And he had no clue that he had came one step closer, he would have been shot dead. But, I mean, when you go around, you're like that all the time. You don't take your guns off. Even if he took, he didn't want to look heavily armed, he could have kept one pistol on, you know. Mm -hmm. And as good a shot and everything he was, and they say, well, he heard the click of the hammer, and you know what? He had a split second before it was over where he knew it, it was over. Well, you and I know well-trained military men, even a click of a hammer, he would have been flipping off that chair, rolling on the ground, spinning around and grabbing a gun before he ever got oh, yeah. shot. He would have tried. You know? He would have tried. And, yeah. um, he would have tried to do something. He wouldn't have just stood there and went, oh, well, I guess this is it. But you, you hear things and you think, well, I don't know what's true and what's not true. So, you know, and I had heard other people say that, you know, Crittenden conspired with the Fords to have him assassinated. And then you hear other people say, well, Crittenden was a was a friend of Jesse James. He And Jesse James had given him $35,000 to run for governor when he, you know, for his campaign and everything. And uh, they're like, well, how do we know this is true? This guy's just saying this. He, how does he know this? Where did he find this information out? We know Crittenden lived in the same area, but yeah, he was the governor of Missouri. So yeah. He lived in the same area. So I I looked up uh, newspaper articles, the Kansas City Daily Times back in 1882, and tried to find out things. One of the ones they said was Jesse James, Frank Dalton, as Jesse James said, that, you know, he attended his own funeral. It was, it was uh, Charlie Bigelow that was shot. And that, you know, he was part of the gang. They wanted to get rid of him. He kept claiming to be Jesse James and blaming things on Jesse James. So 
They shot him out back of the barn, drove his body in, threw it on the floor. Everybody was on board with the story they were going to tell. And they say that's why they gave uh, Robert Ford the pistol he had to turn in that he shot Jesse James with because that's the pistol they shot Charlie Bigelow with. So it would all match up. So anyway, I look in the Kansas City Times, and I'm going to read it right off here. Friday, April 7th, 1882, the funeral procession, Kearney, Missouri, on April 5th. Long before noon, the town was full of people. The funeral procession started from the Baptist church in which Jesse was converted in 1866. The edifice was filled, and there were many there that was standing room only. Pallbearers, we know they always have six pallbearers. The pallbearers were J.D. Ford, Deputy Marshal J.T. Reed, Charles Scott, James Henderson, and William Bond. There was another, a sixth pallbearer, a rather mysterious character whom none of the other five seemed to know. He seemed to take charge of the casket and directed the movements, but neither his fellow pallbearers or the standard spy knew who he was. He was a stout and well-preserved man of about perhaps 40 years of age and seemed to understand what he was about, but no one could say who he was or where he came from. This mysterious guy just shows up out of the blue and takes charge of the uh, funeral procession. And then they say that only Jesse's friends or family were in charge of the coffin from point from the very beginning until it was buried. And then after the reverend did the funeral service and this, everything they do, at the end he says, in closing, before the coffin is taken to the house, I've been asked to make one or two requests. As San, John Samuel is very low on account of the shock caused by the death of his brother and the grave is near the house, Mrs. Samuel, Zerelda, Ask that those who are here do not go to the house. It is feared the excitement of seeing so many persons present will injure John Samuel. It is therefore requested that none but the friends and family go to the grave. So nobody was allowed to go up to the grave and see him bury the body. So once that body was, they took that famous picture, nobody had anything to do with it after that. So... Crazy. That's kind of fishy. I mean, this is right in the freaking newspaper. Yeah. That yeah. they said this. They pulled Zerelda aside too, didn't they? When she Yeah, they when they first they... asked her, she had come and she went down to see and of course he had been reported other people in the past that said, Oh, I killed Jesse James and you know, so when they said it again this time, a lot of the times people like, Yeah, right, sure. He's not dead. You're just saying that again. They called Zerelda down, and she come down from uh, Kearney, Missouri, to see the body. And as soon as she walked up the body, she looked at. She goes, "That's not my son." And then she turned around. And then, like a day later, she comes back. So, oh, I was mistaken. That is my son. And they're like, "What do you mean you were mistaken? How did how did you not know it was your son the first time?" She goes, "Oh well, I didn't recognize him with the beard, but it has been noted that." She had just seen him 10 days prior to that. He was at her house visiting for a couple of days with the Ford boys. And it's like, yep. well, how did you not know, recognize him with a beard? He certainly didn't grow a big bushy beard in 10 days. Yep. So I think she just had, I don't think, you know, back then you couldn't send word 
over Telegram, because, you know, if you're trying to keep something private like that, she hadn't been brought up to speed yet, Was is my opinion, on uh, what was going down here. That Everybody was to say it was Jesse. Do you think Crittenden, you know, was involved with it, uh, Governor Crittenden? Um, I think it's quite possible if he was his friend. And, like, again, I'm like, well, how did I know he was his friend? What, what proof do you have? Well, I'm looking in the book by Jesse James Jr., and he does half of his first half of his book is all about his father and, you know, the different things he wanted to set the record straight, that he wasn't as bad a guy as everybody made him out to be and all this stuff. And uh, then in the second half, he uh, talked about himself and, you know, his life after his father had died and how tough it was. And um, he had actually got accused of robbing a train himself and was on trial for that. And uh, when he was 12 years old, he took a job, um, applied for a job as, like, not a bus boy, but a, a boy that just runs around, does errands for the people at the courthouse or whatever. And Crittenton was governor at the time. And Crittenton's son was also in politics. And uh, he saw that Jesse James Jr. applied for the job. So he gave him the job. And then he came to find out, you know, how his mother was doing and the family and they were, you know, didn't have a whole lot of money. So the same guy that supposedly had his father assassinated gave him and his mother a house to live in that they could pay over time, took the word of a 12-year-old boy that I will pay this till it's paid off, and then gave them a little loan to get them back on their feet. And then later on, when he got accused of robbing this train and was on trial, Governor Crittenton again and his son, both up for re-election for what they were running for, went to Jesse Jr.'s trial and stood up for him as a character witness and put their whole careers on the line for it. And then after he got acquitted, Governor Crittenton gave him a big loan so he could start up a cigar shop at the courthouse and make some decent money. So I'm like, that doesn't sound like, and then after (laughs) they supposedly, after all this, they had sold some of Jesse's stuff. He says in the book too, he says the two revolvers that my father carried, his brother, Frank, uncle Frank has one of them. And T.T. Crittenton Jr. has the other one. It's like, Mm-hmm. This is, you know, your father supposedly hated him and had him assassinated, yet you have his pistol and you and your father are giving him giving him money and standing up for him, giving him his mother money. And like, you know what, if he did fake his own death, I think that's how he got money to his family was through Crittenton. And, you know, the other thing that we got to bring up, though, is that Jesse was a 33rd degree Mason. And Crittenden was a 32nd degree Mason. And in the Masons, if you're told to do something by somebody higher than you, you have to do it. Yep. And uh, he could have told them, this is what we're going to do. You're on board with it. You're going to play a part. So there's just too many loose ends here to just say, yeah, he was killed. No, I totally agree. Too many things don't add up. Yeah, when I started getting into that, whole thing about his death and i saw the relationship between him and crittenden and i'm like apparently the crittendens had grown up very nearby where the james 
family had their farm. And yeah. I tried I try to stress to people in Missouri at this point in time, you don't know who's friend or who's your foe. You don't know who's an enemy. Yeah. Missouri was split. It was a split state. I mean, you could have your neighbors come over and try to lynch you at any any point in time. Like you don't know. I mean, Crittenden obviously had to talk the talk. You know, he was a governor. You know, Jesse James was a criminal. You know, he's like, I'm tired of Jesse James giving Missouri a bad reputation. But at the same time, Jesse James is the most wanted man and the most paranoid man in Missouri as well. You know, and that it's, you know, there's just too much there to just, like you had said, to just write off. It's like, man, this just doesn't doesn't add up something's not right here you know yep they say that jesse was a mason and if you look at any of these tombstones for the uh, confederates a lot of them have that mason symbol on their tombstone kgc was uh knights of the golden circle and what they were doing was they were trying to raise enough money and enough supplies to not only keep the civil war going but after it was over to, to start it again they didn't just want to let it lie that we lost we want to regroup and come back at you again so they were trying to come up with a bunch of money and uh we think you know if jesse did successfully fake his death that he did a lot of work for the kgc after that and, you know there's all kinds of rumors about gold buried everywhere mm-hmm. so we don't we just don't know yeah because um, there's i think I, that a probable thing. I I believe that you know if he was on the run, what a good place to be is in a group like that that stays secret. You don't have to worry about anybody ratting you out or telling where you are or telling who you are. That's a good group of people to hang out with. Yeah, and they were a lot of those guys were still in a lot of powerful positions, and oh you yeah, know, they're very yeah. well funded. Like it's not easy to be as wanted as he was and then just disappear. But again, you know, there's only maybe one, two or three pictures of you taking your whole life sometimes, you know, in those times. Yeah. It's uh I don't know. I mean, we all know the KGC it's I mean it's proven. It existed. So I mean yeah. that's not the whole conspiracy theory type shit. Like that really went down. But I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I kinda think I don't know. I think he was involved in it for sure. And the fact that he was a high, very high ranking Mason. Well, they probably thought this is a good guy to have on our side. He gets things <laughs> done. <laughs> he they does probably. all the dirty work we don't want to do. That's know? pretty much it though, too, man. And he, I mean, obviously his reputation preceded him. And speaking of reputations, me and you had talked a little bit about it the other night. Um, Frank James, Frank James was, debatably 10 times worse than Jesse ever was when it came to robbing and killing people. But after Jesse died and Frank turned himself in, nothing ever happened. Um, What's your opinion on that? If Crittenton was involved in this, Crittenton was the one he turned himself into, Mm -hmm. you know, because Crittenton pardoned the Fords right after they, they were convicted. They were, was sentenced to hang, and then they were immediately pardoned. And uh, I guess Crittenden didn't care who knew it, you know. Okay, he did. And uh, if that's the case, and you know, he this was all the big plan. Then yeah, Frank, you turn yourself in, and I'll make sure that 
we get a jury and you're never you know charged with everything you're uh acquitted <laughs> exactly and, uh, and then he got off and like we had said before if jesse was really shot by the fords who some people don't know were actually cousins of the jameses exactly he was shot by his only fa- own family members frank would have unturned every stone to get robert ford and kill him exactly there's no way he would have just let that go dude he would have assembled every single person he knew that was part of any gang that he was ever a part of and he would have hunted them down but he didn't do anything yeah and that's one of the most interesting you know because we had talked earlier on uh while while recording you know about the the family factor like yeah. your family was all you had, man. And you took care of each other. You looked out for each other. And when I found out that they were related, I was like, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Hey, and, you know, just a few things I just thought of that proved the whole thing where you stand up for the people in your family and Frank would go after whoever killed his little brother. You look at the robberies, some of the robbers they pulled. The one they did up at Northfield was because there was union money in the bank. Yep. They wanted to get back at the union folks. And remember that one bank they did and they shot the wrong guy. They thought they were shooting, uh, I think it was oh, Samuel yeah. Cox, yeah, the guy that killed first... Bloody Bill. Yep, yeah, yeah, one of his first they robberies. Caught, yeah. They shot Mr. Sheets instead. But yeah, mm-hmm. they picked that bank because, hey, this is the guy that shot Bloody Bill. He was our, you know beloved leader we're gonna rob that bank so we get the chance to kill the guy yep they were very methodical like they weren't just running around robbing trains or banks just randomly like they oh yeah (laughs) they picked them they planned it out picked them and and they said uh well i think you had said in your series that you know jesse and frank they weren't stupid they were smart guys very smart and uh jesse would put gold on a train, insure it, rob it, take the gold, yeah. and then collect the insurance money. Yeah, he would. He <laughs> for them he, losing his gold. Like, he absolutely would win. do that. That was, yeah. when I found that out, man, you know, I knew about Jesse James before I did that series, but after all that research, I was just like, man, this guy, dude, there's a reason, you know, him and Frank will, you know, who back then would think about that you know it's like let's insure all this gold we're going to put on this train then rob the train then collect the insurance money and it's just like that's fucking pretty smart yeah plus i think i mentioned to you before how when they were being chased they all the gang always split up and went in different directions frank and jesse usually went together and they would uh if they got somebody rode upon them who was looking for them they'd play dumb and act like hey what are you doing we're looking for these bank robbers that just took off in the town oh yeah really i had money in that bank we'll help you and they joined the posse looking for them (laughs) (laughs) so they could never find frank and jesse because they were part of the posse oh man i love that (laughs) shit so much dude and speaking of the northfield raid man how about Cole Younger, dude? Me and you had talked about oh. him a little bit uh, the other oh, yeah. night, and we were both in agreement. Like, that dude was just a bad yeah. motherfucker, man. Like, he was it. Yep. Shot 11 times and still lived. Yeah. It is 25 years. Actually, he was offered 
All he had to do was met Frank and Jesse were at the Northfield robbery, and they would have let him go like 15 years, and he refused. He did the full 25 and never said a word. Yep, all he had and to then do. And him and Frank is, got back together afterwards. Yeah, and that's what <laughs> a lot of people don't know too. Like, all he had to do is say that they were there. That's it. Yeah, and he it. wouldn't even do that. He did 25 nope. years after getting shot 11 times. One of them was lodged behind his damn eyeball. If you guys yeah. Google search for those of you, uh, you know, newer to the podcast, if you Google search Cole Younger. And look at one of the most famous pictures of this dude. And it was this mugshot. And he's got this huge swollen eye. And it's not because somebody hit him in the face. It's because there's a fucking bullet lodged behind this guy's eye. And he's just sitting up for the picture, you know, just after getting shot 11 times. And then he goes and does 25 years because he wouldn't rat out. He wouldn't even admit that the James brothers were there. It's like, God. You know, thinking, just thinking about that, that's another guy who, if Bob Ford had killed Jesse James when he got out of prison, he would have hunted his ass down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And speaking of... I mean, they were close. Oh, they were very close, very close. Like the Youngers and the James, man. They rode and did a lot of stuff together. And speaking of Bob Ford, um, I mean, you talked a little bit about it on the phone the other night, uh, just about his death in uh, Colorado. There's people that say he was never, it wasn't him that was killed in Colorado. And they say, I don't know if you said it in your podcast or not, but I've heard it before where they've, they had seen Frank and Bob Ford together out in Colorado after he supposedly had killed Jesse. Yes. Yes. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, that wouldn't happen. No, that no. Frank would have put two bullets in that guy's head at point blank range. Oh yeah, and what and what without even a second, without even hesitation. I mean, like, here you got them, Frank and Jesse killing their neighbor for tipping off the Pinkertons when <laughs> nobody, they didn't even get, they weren't arrested or killed or anything, and they killed them just for tipping them off. What do you think they would do to somebody who killed one of them? I no. know, man. That's exactly that my happen. thing too. All in all, I got to ask this question for for my listeners. What are your book recommendations and which movies do you not like about the James Boys and which ones do you like about the James Boys? Well, the books you got to listen to and you can go on YouTube. You go on YouTube and just type in audio book about Jesse Woodson James. You got to do Woodson because you come up with the regular the Jesse James, the motorcycle guy all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's on audiobook, and you can listen to the whole thing. And it's a long one. It's like five, six hours long. But it's interesting to look at, listen to the second half, too. And then uh, this guy that does Mysterious Circumstances, he's pretty good, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I try, man. I try to be as factual as possible, man. <laughs> Appreciate that name drop. Of, couple of YouTube ones out there, a three-part series of Jesse lived to be 103. That's about Frank Dalton. That's a pretty good one. There's another. You'll find a, a two or three different short ones on YouTube. There's one of some older elderly lady that come out and said when she was a little girl, she sat on Jesse James' lap, and this was supposedly after he had died. Do a little research on the Bigelows. There's a thing with the two of the brothers that were killed. And on the same day, and there was actually a news clip where, you know, like they do the stories looking for Jesse James Gold. 
they did a story on this and they found uh this uh long lost relative a great great nephew or something somebody told them that yeah jesse james killed the they killed the bigelows these other two as well and uh they had graves in some cemetery that were unmarked and this nephew based on what he had been told by his relatives over the years led this tv reporter right to the graves where nobody else could find him hmm. that's pretty interesting it is but the movies my favorite one of all is frank and jesse Definitely. with rob lowe and uh where um randy travis randy travis plays cole younger and the guy i can't remember the guy's name that plays frank but he was the one that was in tombstone too that was virgil or um uh, uh, virgil oh, bill paxton uh, yeah bill paxton yeah, he plays see, a good yeah. part too oh yeah no, that movie is really yeah. good I think that, that was because when I look at movies, I try to look at historical accuracy, and that's yeah, for some odd reason, that's big for me. And you know, when I, I did just the, like it just because, well, I'm a big country fan, so I like Randy Travis oh, anyway, dude. but yeah, of course, they you know, they do a lot of stuff for the effect of the movie, so it's not all completely accurate, but the gist of it, like I was telling you, I'd love to see somebody actually do a movie where where they, where they show jesse faking his death and living to be 103 that would be a cool movie honestly i i would uh, absolutely love that basically tie in yeah. all that information and put it in picture and it's like i would oh, love yeah. to see that scenario but every single one is like you had said earlier like the uh the one with uh brad pitt and uh casey affleck they have the slow motion cock of the gun and like jesse james just kind of yeah you know, has that split second to realize, all right, I'm dead. And it's like, man, I just don't see it happening that way. I really don't. I mean, there's enough information yeah. out there to provide a good argument. Well, there's the big argument between whether the bullet went through his head, didn't go through his head, the hole in the wall. You know, Ford says it didn't go through his head, and they put they have a hole in the wall, and the, it doesn't line up with the right angle, and this, that, and the other thing, and. You just, it's like, you know, there's too many things that are wrong with this picture, you know? And, Speaking uh, of pictures, you didn't steal that one from the... No, nah, like I told you, I would have stole the guns for sure. <laughs> Dude, man. That's what, I got probably about 10 messages and they sent me that article and they're like, was it you? And I'm like, hell no, like, whoever broke into that damn house literally had to, they broke a uh, display case literally with yeah. guns in it. And I'm like, why? Yeah. Like, what? Why? Yeah. If that was me, I would have just reached in and saw that display case. Like, shit, I don't even have to climb in the whole damn house. Just gonna break this uh, right here, take the guns. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's yeah. pretty wild. But yeah, Frank and Jesse love that movie. That's a good one. The older uh, ones you see, you know, the black and white ones, they're trying to be too nice, I would say, you know. You know, like John Wayne movies back in those days, they do them with like or Henry Fonda plays Jesse James in one of them and stuff. And it's like, but they don't have them being the real bad stuff they did. They don't show any of that, you know. Another good one, which I enjoyed watching, was American Bandits. You ever seen that? No, I haven't. That was a good one, but it was not at all correct. It was more to be entertaining and comical and stuff like that i mean they had a marion z and all this stuff 
course, in the movies, everybody's good looking too. They weren't like they really were, you know. <laughs> yeah, I bet you. I bet you Z and uh, Z and his mom were were Hollywood stars. Oh yeah, it was a good movie. It's it just an older one, um, maybe ten, twelve years ago. They had one, and they had they had somebody playing Cole Younger and all this stuff. Kathy oh, Bates yeah. played the mother. Mother. Oh, in this oh one. that would be about. Maybe perfect. I'll find time to. Oh yeah. She played the mother, and she was like, when they came to offer her a dollar a piece for acre for her land, and Frank and Jesse were there, like, don't take it, don't take it, Ma. <laughs> yep. She's like, wait a minute, let me ask Jesus. And she prays for a minute, and then she goes, she's like smiling and nodding her head, like, yep, yep, yep. She goes, yep. She says, Jesus says, we can bury him in the back. Nobody will know. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably something that she would say right there, to be honest with you. I could see her saying that. Yeah. Well, uh, Mark, I suppose, man, unless you got anything else. I'm just see if I can to... find this quick what, what the name of that movie yeah, is. Yeah, for sure, man. We got all the time in the world. Yeah, it's called American Outlaws. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesse James is played by Colin Farrell. Oh, you know Colin Farrell. Yeah, right? I yeah, dude, I know that movie. I've actually seen that. Yeah, and I didn't even register. That's a good, it's a that. good movie, but it's nowhere near accurate. But it's fun to watch anyway. Yeah, for sure. Just like the uh, the new Billy the Kid movie, The Kid. Yeah, yeah, um, right. It's like great for Hollywood, and there's some good acting and great, amazing actors. But like, if yeah. you're looking for historical accuracy. Not young guns, not. Young guns. <laughs> young honestly, guns young guns and young guns too are the two most oh, yeah. historically accurate movies on Billy the Kid. Yeah, and I would. I love that one. I he's couldn't the old believe man. it. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. The second one. Oh dude, that yeah. That scene in that movie when I was, I mean, thirteen, fourteen years old, and always got me into Billy the Kid. Yeah. It's like, how cool would that be if that was true? You know, that kind of so, stuff. And you find out it's like, well, there's a lot of legitimacy. It might be true. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even I can't even thank you enough for coming on, dude, and talking and yeah, get, this was getting, awesome. all, getting all uh history nerded out with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> love this yeah. stuff, dude. I love it. And uh you actually provided more information than I had um found and dude, I love that shit. I I just love learning and and stuff like that. So Dude, I can't yeah. thank you enough for taking the time to to come on. All right, man. cool. Well, thanks right, for having man. me on. Oh no, All man, right. I appreciate you coming on, taking the time. All right, cool. All right, all right. All Have right. a good one, man. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.